Welcome to the Every Nation Dorado Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. So today we're talking about sanctifying grace. Right in the first week, if you were not here with us, in the first week we spoke about abundant grace. And so how we, we looked at this picture of how great sin is, but how greater the grace of God is. And it was this amazing picture, this contrast that Paul gave us in, in Romans 5 of saying this, it's death versus life and it's this versus this. And every time the sight of God, the grace and the life of God was always bigger than death and sin and whatever else there is in our lives. And then last Sunday, uh, Auntie Rita preached on justifying grace. Just if you haven't sinned, you're justified, meaning you're, you're no longer guilty. So if, 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 if a judgment has to be passed, your verdict will be innocent. And But today, we will speak about the sanctifying grace of God. So the sanctifying grace of God. And the sanctifying grace of God, the justifying grace of God determines our eternity. The sanctifying grace of God helps us to live victoriously in the present age. So we'll see this in the scripture tonight that there's this part where we're looking to what's coming, but we still need to deal with what is reality. We still need to live this life as we await a certain day. And I was reading a, a newsletter uh, after, after the 10.30 service, and there was, a, there was a story about these three guys who came out of prison. And these guys actually experienced a great transformation in their life. Their whole, they actually started a coffee shop. And so they started a coffee shop, and now they're running a successful business. These were guys that joined gangs at 14 years old. And so this transformation happened in their life, and it, and it wasn't merely just natural, it was spiritual. So it was a group of ministers who ministered in the prison, and when they ministered, they, they helped people as well to, to revamp their life, basically in faith, but also in, in the natural, like creating a business or giving them work or anything like that. But if I, if I had to remove the faith part, so let's say faith was not involved in this story. So all you know, knew was someone came to prison and these guys helped people to, to transform their life, to revamp their lives. And so these guys, imagine them, addicts, gangsters from 14 years old. I think their coffee shop is something called gangster something, something. So 14 years old, they went to prison in and out. And all of a sudden, if you look at them now, you'll probably not even know that they were uh, any criminals and their whole lives were changed. So that's like, a, it's like a makeover. And you have all these stories. I don't know who of you watch uh, reality stories. Reality stories. It's not me. Uh, I don't watch them. But makeover, extreme makeover. Have you ever watched something, a makeover where people get transformed? So, but what if I could tell you that God has given us something more powerful than just a natural transformation? He's giving us His amazing grace that transforms us from the inside out as we wait for eternity. So it's, it's, it's not a temporary transformation. So it's not just taking a life and let's give you business skills and create a business, 
but is actually a working in our insights that prepares us for eternity. And that's what the amazing grace of God does for us. And so what we're going to look at today is Titus 2 verse 11 to 14. Titus 2 verse 11 to 14. So let me pray for us and then we're going to read this um, scripture. So Lord, we thank you for this moment, Lord. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are so at work in our lives, whether we see it or not, God. And Father, we thank you this evening. It's by your amazing grace that we are just even sitting here, breathing and being sustained. It's because of your grace, your mercy, your favor upon our lives. And Father, I pray that tonight, God, that you come and do what you alone can do, Lord. Father, may you take my words beyond just words, Lord. God, may you help me, Father, where I'm unable, God. God, may you bring transformation through your spirit, Lord, alone. And so, God, I just thank you, Lord, as we take your word, Father, that we will not be the same after today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so Titus 2 Verse 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify us for himself, a people for his own possession who are zealous for his work. So this is Titus 2 verse 11 to 14. So this was a pastoral letter that Paul was writing to Titus. And he was, what was, he, he, what was, he, he had to, Titus had to establish few things in the church. So what happened in the church at Creta is that is that it, uh, false teachers started influencing the church. So the church there was, was very corrupt. It, it was so corrupt that like the Cretans themselves will say about their own people that these are lazy, uh, they're always liars, lazy gluttons, evil beasts. Like imagine their own people is saying this about them. And so what was happening in, in the environment was that the culture, the, the current trend was influencing the church. So these things were coming into the church. And it's probably seen now and then, even in our context, that these things come into the church and they influence the church. And so what, what, so what was happening is that the lifestyle of believers was starting to be questioned. So imagine that. We're saying we're Christians, but this culture swallowed up that was full of sin. And, and, and these guys were making up sin. Imagine inventing sin. These guys were probably calling creative meetings for sin. Let's, let's create sin. Let's sit around a table and make this thing that just destroys lives and separates and breaks down. And let's try to do it as much as we can. So after Paul was addressing the church issues and setting things in place, he shifts a gear and he comes to the life of believers. And this is where we found this passage. So he was dealing with church issues and we come to this passage and now he's dealing with every single one of our lives. And he says, this is the current culture. It can influence the church and this is how you should 
live. And so this is what God wants us to see and wants us to know that we should not be influenced by the culture. Who of you know the saying that a culture eats strategy for breakfast? A culture that is strong enough will swallow you, except if you have something in you that enables you to stand. So, and I could probably, so, so Paul was dealing with him saying, this is the lifestyle, and I, he probably came to a place where they asked him, but how? The culture is so strong, the sin is so bad, the people is all over, they're doing all of these things. How will our lives look in this way that you describe? And the answer was, by God's amazing grace. By God's amazing grace. So here's what Paul reminds them, his first point. God's amazing grace transforms our eternity. I'm not going to linger too much on this because we spoke about this last week. And that was justification. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. So where we need to start with a passage like this is you've got to pay attention to the word for. Because for lays the basis for what's coming. For is a reason or a result. Something needs to happen. And it says that for this reason, for the grace of God appeared. And when it says for the grace of God, so it says the unmerited favor of God appeared. And for the grace of God appeared, God had to initiate it and allow it to come. And so when it says for the grace of God appeared, that word appeared says for the grace of God came to fulfill its fitting purpose. So the grace had a purpose when it was manifested to the earth. And that's what we're going to explore tonight. What was the purpose of this manifested grace that was given to us? So Jesus Christ is the incarnation, the manifestation, and the appearance of the grace of God. So Jesus Christ is the incarnation, the manifestation, and the appearance of the grace of God. So if it says, for the grace of God, the unmerited favor that all of us are undeserving of, we're undeserving of the favor of God, has appeared for a certain purpose, and the purpose is this, to bring salvation for all people. So this salvation was brought to us because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So the salvation was made available for who? All people. Does this mean all people will be saved? No. But it does mean that the salvation of God is available to all people. It's available. It's there. It can be given. It is available. God can grant it to anyone who He likes. And this is displayed in 1 Timothy 2 verse 14 where God was saying that God desires all people. Just go to the next one there. God desires, the same word comes up, all people to be saved and to come to the truth, the knowledge of the truth. So salvation was made available, the grace of God was made available, which saves us to everyone. So whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're from what background, what cultural background, the grace of God, the salvation of God was made available to all. 
Let me take it further. So whether you're from a life of sin that you think is unimaginable and salvation cannot come to me because of this type of background, it was made available to you as well. It was given to everyone. There's no person too far for God to save. There's no person too far for God to reach and pull them into salvation. But what we need to do is we need to deal with current reality. And Matthew 7 verse 13 to 14 says to us, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate, which, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So if enter by the narrow gate... What's the narrow gate? Jesus. The wide gate, believe what you want, you're going to the same place. So the wide gate, you can put your faith in whatever, whether this religion or that religion or this thing or that thing, it is a wide gate and it leads to destruction. But the narrow gate, the only way you can come through it is through the person, Jesus Christ. There's only one way through this gate. And that's Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and man, the person, Jesus Christ. And so the narrow gate, you're free. Anything, anything, any religion, any desire, whatever you like, the wide gate. Sorry, the wide gate. Anything you like, the wide gate is open for destruction. It's easy because you can do whatever you want. You can live the way you want. But the moment you go through the narrow gate... It's costly. It's different on the other side. It's a life of wrestle and war. But it's worth it at the end of the day. So the current reality, what God wants to bring to us is say that we've got to enter through the narrow gate. Now what could be deceptive, you can go back to the first slide, sorry, where it says the grace of God appeared for all. There, for the grace of God appeared. So that word appeared shouldn't fool you to think that grace was not there before. Grace was there before the beginning of time. And uh, 2 Timothy 9 verse 10 says this to us. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. In the ESV it says before, before the ages begun. So, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immorality to the, uh, to the light through the gospel. So the grace of God was always present. It was always there. From the beginning of the time, the grace of God was there. And then this came this moment where God sent His Son, and now all of a sudden, the grace of God was manifested. So yes, God's grace transforms our eternity, but it does more than that. It enables us to live here and now victoriously. So when you look at this type of grace, the, just, the, the justifying grace, it's a once-off moment. The abundant grace, once-off. No, let me not say that. The, but... <laughs> The justifying grace is more like a once-off moment. 
But what we will look at now, the sanctifying grace is a continuous walk. This is the real issue we are facing, is that people love the the justifying grace. But oh man, oh man, don't tell me about taking my cross daily. Don't tell me about living in self-denial. Don't talk to me about that. And there's this famous saying, you've probably heard many preachers saying, we all want to live like Christ or be like Christ, but we don't want to pay the cost to be like Christ. We love Him and we love the picture and we want to be so holy and so blameless and so set apart, but oh my goodness, the moment it costs us, we deviate. We go in other directions. So God's grace did not only save us, but it sanctifies us. So you've got to know that, that God's grace does not only save you, it sanctifies you. It does not merely save you. It's not just this once-off event that happens to you and your whole life is changed. It is a continuous walk that happens after that. The only thing you can contribute to your salvation is your sin. That's what you bring. So to your salvation, you can contribute. If you feel like doing something to get saved, bring your sin. And Christ will take that. And there's this picture where Christ, if you think of a husband and a wife, you're right, you, you basically like a, a husband gives everything that he has to the wife and he takes everything from the wife onto him. And that's the picture that God has between us. God takes all our death, all our sin, all our lying, all our passions, all our immorality, takes it upon Him, and He gives us all His life, all His joy, all His grace, all His mercy, and He says, now walk in that. I've given you, I've taken everything from you, I've put it upon me, and now you walk in what I have given you. So let's take a look at sanctification. God's amazing grace transforms not just our eternity, but enable us to live our present reality victoriously. Sanctification. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live a self-controlled, upright, upright and godly lives in this present age. So the first word, it says, what does the grace of God do? It trains us. This word trains is referring to a child being trained up. So when all of us come to this place of justification, what are you then? You're a child. What were you when you were born? You're a baby. And the Bible says you will be born again. So you'll be a baby somewhere again in your life. And you need to be trained up. And so this training says, I want you to be trained up. But this training refers to a child being trained up. And when a father trains up a child, it's for this reason. is to get you to mature and understand your full potential. So when it speaks here about training, it basically says, for all of us, it says, God says, I, need, I want you to, to, to grow up to maturity so that you can understand your full potential. So that's what the grace of God wants to do for every one of us here as we walk with it. It wants to train us to become mature, to live the lives that we are, that we are destined to live. It wants to bring you into your full potential. 
So think of a coach. Think of a, I only know tennis. I always use tennis. So think of a tennis coach. A tennis coach takes a, a baby or child and he trains him. What does he train him not to do? To do the wrong shots. To serve in the wrong way. To hit the ball in the wrong way. He trains him not to do that. So what does that involve? One, it involves education. He had to educate the boy. Why do you not hit to hit like that? It can cost you a game. It can hurt your arm. It can break something. It can do something. So he educates him. And then what is also needed is some discipline. The boy needs to be disciplined. And then I, I included a bit of a more harsh word here. It's to be chastised. That is to be severely instructed or quite a strong punishment. But chastise also comes from this Latin word called chestus. And chestus basically means to be purified. So when God trains us, He's educating us through Scripture. Then He also disciplines us. God disciplines those whom He loves. And sometimes He has to be a bit harder because we don't listen but that is to purify us. So God wants to train us and help us to do what? To renounce. So God wants to help us and to do what? To renounce. So when God provides the grace, uh, sorry, so how does God do this? The next slide. How does God do this? These things I've spoken to you while I was still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So how does God train us? Through the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us. Brings to our remembrance. Reminds us. Teaches us. Convicts us. Therefore, it's important to know Scripture because the Holy Spirit has to remind you when it reminds you, here's your choice. Your conscience is there for a reason. And you should listen to it. So what we are able to do, we are, we are able to suppress the Holy Spirit. We are able to take whatever we're doing and is convicting us of the truth. And we're able to leave the truth, suppress the truth and keep the lie. So we need to walk closely to the Holy Spirit. You need to start reading your Bible and understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Jesus pours the love of God into your heart through the Holy Spirit. God instructed the apostles through the Holy Spirit. God made, I can't remember, it was Peter who was standing and says, Do not be anxious about what you will say or what you have to say, because in that moment I'll bring to your remembrance. I'll speak to you. And so we need to understand that it's the Holy Spirit, a close relationship with the Holy Spirit, that enables us to live these lives being trained up in the way that God wants us to live. So this training is for two purposes. is to renounce ungodliness. Go back to the first one again, the heading. So to train us is to renounce ungodliness. What does it mean to renounce? It means to say no or deny. You have no loyalty with this thing. Sorry, let's go to the, the, the second point. Yes, so it trainings, trains us to renounce ungodliness. 
So ungodliness is anything that cannot bring glory to God. Ungodliness. And ungodliness is, is something that in your life you cannot in that possible moment be anyhow devoted to God with that thing. It hinders. It's an ungodliness. It's something that, that is not from God. It's, a, it's, it's basically, like I wrote, it's basically like a lack of respect. It's an ungodliness. So think of your life. Think of areas of your life where you can say, it's impossible for me to bring glory to God in this moment. What are those things? That's ungodly. So wherever your, your sin or something is reigning, something where you can say in this area, the way I speak to this person, or the way I treat this family member, or the way I handle this, or the way I, I have a habit of this, that's ungodliness. In a place where you can say, I cannot with a full and clear conscience glorify God in this moment. That's ungodliness. And then it enables us to renounce. And ungodliness can be in thought and in your deeds. So here's a, here's a good example. Imagine we have about five TVs. So we can do one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so we can do five people at a time. So imagine we had five people here. One, two, three, four, five. And we place the screen on front of your head and it displays your thoughts for the last week. Right? It displays your thoughts for the last week. So you need to be able to say in all these thoughts and everything that I was doing and looking at, am I able to bring God respect? Am I able to honor Him with that? That's ungodliness if it's not. You need to work with that. You need, that's so, so you can remi remind yourself, if you remember anything from this sermon, remember the TV on your head displaying your thoughts and your deeds. So wherever you go in town, imagine just your thoughts and your, your what do you imagine? Your imagination being displayed. And you need to ask yourself, can I, with all that goes through my mind and everything that I allow in and everything my, I allow my eyes to watch, will that bring glory to God? And then God wants us to also renounce worldly passions. Worldly refers to anything of this present age. Anything. And passion refers to a strong desire for it. So anything that has a dominion over you, that could be a habit, a habitual thing you're doing, that's a worldly passion, something that controls you. It leads you. It, you, have, you have made loyalty. You have not renounced it. You have submitted to it. It leads you. So let me give you a few, few examples. Immorality. Being religious. Um, Self-centeredness. Pride. All of these are worldly passions. Self-centeredness, living for yourself, your interest. How do you know you can live a Christian life self-centeredly? That you make somehow, somehow we have this amazing way of making this book so much about us. Like it's all about us, all about what God wants to do. It's me, it's me, and it's me, and it's me, and it's self, and it's, it's my interest. Let me say no to this because it benefits to me. I can't give my time there. I can't disciple this, but I can't share the gospel there because it's, it's about me. You know what? The other thing I didn't include that's also a sin, an ungodly thing, is self-pity. Self-pity. 
pity. And then we call it, this is, I'm just feeling like this in the moment. And then we love, you know what self-pity wants you to do? It wants you to have someone else feel pity for you. Because it's about you. And I'm saying it confidently because self-pity was my sin. Man, I struggled. And I actually would say I loved self-pity. Man, I just loved feeling like, oh my word, can someone just feel sorry for me now? You know, but self-pity is poor. It's a sin that is in our lives. So think of a worldly passion. It's something belongs to this present age as opposed to heaven and the future. So worldly passion is something that doesn't belong to the heavenly beings, the will of God up there, and the future. It doesn't benefit us in any way. That's a worldly passion. So that's a worldly passion. And all of these we can say no to because of the grace of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, He didn't merely die for your your forgiveness but he actually also died to break the power of sin. Jesus didn't just die so that you can stand here justified and forgiven, but he broke the power of sin over your life. So whether it's ungodliness, whether it's worldly passions, you're actually able to say yes. You're actually able to say yes to a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Self-controlled means you have this thing in control from the inside out. You have your emotions under control. You worship God above your feelings. You are self-controlled. You are sitting with something well. Let me share a personal story. I I came here this morning with devastating news in the back of my mind. But my emotions cannot allow that to dictate how I worship God. And if I had to share it with all of you, I promise you, 80% of you will weep with me. Because it's bad. But I couldn't allow it that that emotion determines how I serve God every single day. I'm in control of what I do. I, I can, and I don't manage all the time. And then I, I managed there, and then I didn't manage after church because I said something that made my wife upset. And I wasn't under control of my thoughts. I didn't keep them under control, but that's what the ability that God gives you and me is to keep on saying yes, is to keep on saying yes to the right habits, the right ways of God. And God enables you. Don't be impatient with yourself. Be gracious. Be slow and work through it and war through it and fight through it. But God gives you the ability to say yes and to live a self-controlled life. Do you need to lash out at someone? No. God gives you the ability to be slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. Let me share with you my prayers in the morning. Lord, I will consistently be slow to speak, slow to anger. I will consistently take control of every single hour of my day because I was wrestling with this. And I'm saying, God, you got to help me because you enable me to say yes. Therefore, I can be slow to speak. I can process my thoughts. I can be quick to listen. 
I can keep my emotions under control. I cannot waste my hours every day. I don't need to sit around and let my feelings determine whether I should work or not. Whether I should read my Bible or not. Whether I should read a book or not. Whether I should reach out to someone or not. I'm in control of this. And God has given me that ability. So self-control naturally relates to one's personal life so that we are free under God's control to overcome life-dominating patterns. An upright life. An upright life is the golden rule in the gospel. Do to others what you want to be done unto yourself. Be integrate. Be fair and free. Don't take favor. Favoritism. Don't do that. It's not an upright life. It's not an upright life. So it relates to one's relationship with others, to our neighbors, and the fairness, integrity, honesty, and truthfulness. So how upright is your life? Again, think of the screens. How upright is it? How fair is it? How integrate? When, when last did you lie? Who lied yesterday? We, we shouldn't joke about sin, right? But I was on my phone with my mom coming to church. I try to call her as much as sin. And my mom's getting old. She's not so old, right? But I, I'm noticing she's... I hope she'll never listen to this. Right? But she keeps on sharing stories with me that she's shared before. And so what I did, she asked me, Had my, did your sister tell you about this? And I said, no. And so... When I, and I think in that moment, the Holy Spirit quickly spoke to my heart, man, you're lying. <laughs> and then as we were going, I wasn't even maybe, not even 10 meters forward. I told her, you know what, mom, my sister actually told me about this, this story. And so I just tried to repent. But that's an upright, it's an honesty life. It's, and it's quick. You see what happened in that moment? I said something, I re- listened to the Spirit, and I repented. I brought it forth. So you know what, my sister actually did tell me. I don't want to keep in that lie. I don't walk in it. We quit to repent. Be quick to go back to an upright life when you're out of line. And you're able to do that. So don't, and then lastly, and I'm going to close, is we live a godly life. So this naturally pertains to our relationship with God. In that, in the, in that one's life centered on Him as the primary object of worship on His will and purpose. This forms the foundation and source of motivation and control for the other two relationships. Okay? So self-control is your relationship with yourself. Uprightness is your relationship with others. And then your, your godliness is your relationship with God. Now, I don't know how people do it. I honestly don't. I don't know how people live upright, self-controlled lives without being deeply rooted in word and prayer. I'm very uncertain. And let me give you illustrations. And maybe this was you. And I want to encourage you, if you're not reading your word and prayer daily, and I'm not saying go out and spend five hours, just, just start with some to do it consistently daily. But when we pray, mostly for people, if I had to dig into their lives of word and prayer, it's normally weak. And therefore, they're facing many things and they are struggling to overcome it. Because their foundations are poor. 
And this is the amazing grace of God. That somehow he got 66 books over thousands of years, different writers, and they're all together and given it to us to ensure that we don't have poor foundations. So they actually gave you this ability to develop deep, um, deep um, roots in word and prayer. And the storms that this present age, it says this present age, the age we are living in, this present age is offering, is unable to be faced without a deep life in the word and in prayer. And I'm not sure where you're at with this. You'll, you'll struggle with self-control. You can try to discipline yourself, but a true transformation won't come that way. And you'll struggle with an upright life if your foundations in word and prayer is weak. And so I want to encourage you, if, if you, if you're not doing it, get a plan. I'm not a big fan of, of opening your Bibles and randomly. You know why? Because it's led by your feelings. When you open it randomly and say, how do I feel today? And then you read according to that. Here's what I'm not saying. There's moments we should do that because God ministers through Scripture in that particular situation. But if every day that's your way, you will never develop a solid, rooted relationship with word and prayer. Your spontaneous reading will flourish because you have a solid and a consistent um, time in word and prayer. And on Wednesday at prayer, I asked a question. Many times, you, you'll probably think, maybe this thought is coming to your mind, Phil, that's legalistic. Why should we do the same thing over and over and over and over? And here's my question. Why is eating three times a day not legalistic? Why must this become religious? Because you're reading and praying every day. You're intentionally coming and saying, God, I want to be in your presence. I want to walk with you. I want to live self-controlled. I want to live upright. I need sanctification. I need you to wash me. Why is that, not, uh, why, why, why is that classified as this religious act? And this whole thing, like this whole thing of, man, God, oh my word, God just wants you to rest. Justina, can you just please do less and just rest and don't do too much. God doesn't want you to do things. No, God wants you to live in obedience. Your salvation, nada, nothing. Doesn't want you to do a single thing. Bring your sin and he'll fix you. But after that, it's a life of daily picking up our crosses, daily saying no to ungodliness, daily renouncing worldly passions every single day. And so I want to encourage you that if you're not having a consistent Bible and word time, and take it slow, but do it every single day day. The Christian walk is not every day this joyful butterfly, easy flowing, going with the wind walk. Sometimes it's certainly to be war. You need to fight. You need to fight for your heart. Fight for the condition of where you're at. Fight through that sin. Move through it. Why? Because of the amazing grace of of God. He has given it to you, enabling you to live a life like that. And while you're doing that, this is your hope. The last point. 
tonight close. Blessed hope, glorification, waiting. So here's the thing. You are justified. While you are justified, now while you're being sanctified, this is what you need to have in your mind. I'm waiting for this blessed hope. I'm waiting for the appearing of the glory of my great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us. From what? From lawlessness. To do what? To purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. If anybody tell you, maybe let me make an absolute, but if anybody tell you, just rest. Tell Him, the Word says, I must be zealous for good works. I must work. I must fight. I must wake up. I must read my Word. And I must be in anticipation waiting for this blessed hope. Waiting for the appearing of my great God. His glory manifesting in my life. I'm waiting for Him. And we have become numb waiting for the day that the Lord returns. We have, it has become such a no, like, man, is that even, even real? Will He even come back? And we are, most of you are probably convinced He won't come back in your lifetime. And I want you to be cautious of living like that. Be cautious of having those thoughts. Always be ready. Always be in anticipation saying, I'm waiting, God. I'm waiting. And then as I'm waiting, I'm just saying, purify me. Make me more like you. Release me more. Make me more. Make me sanctify me more. Lord, I hate this sin. I don't like this sin. I don't like not being self-controlled. I don't like these habits. I don't like these thoughts. I don't like that I'm not reading and praying every day. I don't like that I'm not sharing my faith. I don't like that I'm not serving in church. I don't like that I'm not discipling others. I don't like that I'm speaking like this to my wife. I don't like that I'm getting irritated so quickly. I'm getting anger. I have these fits of anger going all over me. I don't like, I don't like self-pity in my life. While you're waiting... The Holy Spirit wants to sanctify you. And wait with this in mind, this blessed hope, our God, our King. So here's what God wants us to do. We can rise to our feet. Yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, this evening, Father, we are your people set apart for your work, Lord. Father, there's no one in this place, God. Father, that I'll ever wish that they will not come to the knowledge of who you are, Lord. God, it's not your desire, Lord. It's not mine up here, God, to see anybody miss the narrow gate. And so, Father, I pray that if there's anybody standing here and saying, I, I've not entered through the narrow gate. I've not come through that gate. I've not come through Jesus. I've not been justified by Him. Just want you to surrender your life. And how do you know it? It's, it's you. You're feeling maybe a bit uncomfortable. You're feeling something in your heart. And if there's someone you say, I've, I've not, I don't think... I've ever experienced the justification of God going through the narrow gate. I just want to pray with you. And so I want you to lift your hand. Let me just see. If any of you feel I've, I've not seen it, the justification of God. 
And then secondly, for all of us who say God has justified us, God desires for us to yield to Him. God desires for you to come under His submission, make loyalty with Him, living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. And if the Word of God says this present age, it doesn't matter what this age offers. We are able to live self-controlled, holy, and godly. So right now, Lord, I just come before you, Lord, with my brothers and sisters, bringing my own life before you with all of them, God, and say, Lord, help us to wage war against the flesh, God. Help us to fight through sin, Lord. Help us to live self-control. God, I pray that people will come to salvation merely by observing our lives because our good works will make you be glorified, Lord. And God, I pray for those, Lord, who do not have a habit of daily reading and uh, prayer, Lord. They're not deeply rooted in you. Right now, God, I break off that habit of not doing it and we replace it with, the, with, the, with, with your word that says, I treasure your word more than my daily bread. That will be their utterance every single morning, God. I, I love your word more than my daily bread. God, and I pray, Lord, for those who are fighting, God, fighting through habits, Lord, fighting through sin, God, that your grace will sustain us. And so, Lord, I pray that we will be sanctified, God, as we wait for you, Lord. God, give us a freshness of the waiting upon you, Lord. God, we wait for you, our great King, you who 24 hours a day, seven times a week, 365 uh, days a year, Lord, where the angels are falling before you and saying, holy, Holy, holy are you, Lord. God, I pray that we will make marks with our knees on our mats, God, because we're in prayer, Lord. God, we will read that our Bibles become old because we just want to wash ourselves with the Word, Lord. God, we will be unacceptable, Lord. We will, un we will not be acceptable. We will not say yes to anything that's contrary to you, Lord. Lord, and I pray that we'll be quick to listen to the Spirit and repent. And be sanctified again. Be sanctified again. And through all of this, Lord, it's your amazing grace. It's made available for us because of your son, Jesus. It was manifested, incarnated, and appeared to all people. Bringing salvation to all of us who are standing here today. And so thank you, Lord. I just want you to take a moment and heal before God and you can just do it in your heart or you can do it out loud however you feel but just to say Lord I submit again I want to be under your guidance of the Spirit I want to live self-control I want to live upright and I want to live a life 100% devoted to you repent if you feel you've missed it thank you. Grateful that we can be yours, Lord, your children. God, I just pray your blessing upon your people, Lord. Keep them, protect them. Let your face shine upon them, Lord. 
Let them remain in step with your spirit, God. Protect him from everyone, Lord. Every, as, your, as the prayer says, Lord, deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from temptation, Lord. Keep us, God. But let's bring your world that is in heaven into this earth, Lord. Daily just saying, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, O great God. Hallowed be your name. God, I pray a fresh hunger for you in this place. God, I pray a fresh hunger, a fresh move of your spirit, a fresh desire to be with you every morning or every evening or every midday. A fresh hunger, Lord. A fresh uh, uh, anticipation waiting for you, God. A new faith, God, in prayer, Lord. God, I pray that you pour out the gift of faith upon these people, Lord. Lord, I pray that they will build them up as they speak in the Spirit, Lord. I pray that they'll use every means, God, to build up their faith, God. God, bless them in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit envintook.org.